Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase and a member FDIC 2024 J.P. Morgan Chase and Co. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go papertarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. For years and years, I did not appreciate all the beautiful, magical things my body does every day. For years and years, all I could see was how my body didn't measure up to the Western ideal with all its sexism and racism and fat phobia. I hated my body. I cursed it. I starved it. Now when I think about my body, I think of a quote from astronomer Carl Sagan about how the elements that make up our DNA, our teeth, and our blood, those elements were made in the interiors of collapsing stars. He said, we are made of star stuff. And here's what your stardust body is doing right now. Your heart is pumping blood. Your lungs are trading oxygen for carbon dioxide. Tiny hairs in your ears are picking up the sound of my voice. Your brain is turning those sound waves into meaning. Your skin can feel the touch of a loved one. Your eyes can detect about one million colors. So many colors that there aren't even words to describe all of them in any human language. Your body can dance and laugh and dream and stretch and grow and hurt and heal itself. It's amazing. Through all of those years when I was hating my wondrous body, it was there, chugging along like a chubby little choo-choo train, taking care of me. My body has been my truest friend. She's got me has had me through all of it. She is magic. Our feelings about our bodies are almost always all tangled up with our feelings about food. And we have all sorts of feelings about food, in part because we're afraid that it will make our bodies bigger. 
and we've all got the message loud and clear that bigger is not okay. Ever watch fat people get abused on The Biggest Loser? Or read studies that show that fat people are 12 times more likely to face workplace discrimination? We see the way that fat people are treated, and we are afraid of being treated like that. It's normal to be afraid of being treated like poop garbage. But here at Rebel Eaters Club, we know the solution is not attempting to make your body smaller. That just keeps you in an LTR with self-hatred. I used to tell myself that I was dieting because I wanted to look better and be healthier. But really? I was trying to control how other people saw me and how they treated me. I couldn't change being a woman or a person of color. I couldn't change the fact that I grew up working class, but I totally bought the idea that if I could control my body, I could maybe protect myself against at least some nasty judgments. Diet culture is about control, all kinds of control. And about 25% of people who diet regularly eventually develop an eating disorder. EDs and diets are not the same, but they are both about controlling food when we feel like we cannot control other aspects of our lives. I'm Virgie Tovar. This is Rebel Eaters Club. In this episode, you're going to hear from someone who's in recovery from an eating disorder. Her name is Bailey. All right. Okay, Bailey. So mm-hmm. I texted you and asked you... If there's anything you're in the mood for. So I decided to create a little menu (laughs) based on your input. I brought bubbly water, which I have a deep passion for. Um, And then some brie. Which I have a deep passion for. (laughs) We met five years ago at a reading at the San Francisco Public Library. Yes, the nerdiest meet cute ever. It happened to me. She was wearing at least five necklaces, looked like an adorable goth with soft edges, and was fat like me. We were both at the library for the monthly queer reading series. It didn't take long before we discovered a mutual love of witchcraft, oversharing, and Oreos. As sort of a dessert, I brought some bootleg Oreos that have the mint flavor. They're kind of holiday. Yeah, they're amazing. I've been eating them and they're great. (laughs) You like drop some on the floor and you're like, I'm not above eating floor Oreos. Five second rule. (laughs) Yes. Okay, cute. I'm really stoked on this hummus. I'm just going to like reach across and grab that. Yeah, do it. I'm going to open up the tiny baby carrots. I have always had like mixed feelings about baby carrots. Okay, tell me. But recently... I smoked some weed with my friend Eleni, and the only food that she had was baby carrots, and it just changed. I was like, oh, my God. Yes. Kind of want us to do a dual carrot crunch hummus Mm -hmm. moment. What do you think? And just create the loudest crunch we can possibly create. Let's do it. And this is a crunch. This is the crunch that's going to ripple through history. This is the crunch that will be heard around the world, Bailey. Yes. Let's do it. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. One, two, two three. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, did you hear that, Patriarchy? We're coming for you. 
Quick note, <laughs> Bailey is 22. When I was 22, I was still busy trying to squeeze my body into tiny pants and get married narcissists to love me. But Bailey, she's way wiser than I was at her age. Like, diet culture is what cult leaders do to cult members, depriving them of food, depriving them of energy, depriving them of sleep. It's a method of subjugation. It's a brainwashing tool. Diet culture is like someone speaking into a microphone in your head all the time because it's the only thing you can think about because when you're not eating, the only thing your body wants to do is eat. Mm. It never lets you be alone with yourself and your own thoughts to realize all of your potential. See what I mean? Bailey spent years in the throes of an eating disorder. And we're going to talk about that in detail throughout this episode. Bailey's path to recovery is unique. Everyone who struggles with an eating disorder has a different path to recovery. If you have an ED, your path to recovery might look entirely different. If that sounds triggering for you right now, you might want to listen to this another time. Okay, Bailey, who are you? Oh, my gosh. So, (laughs) I mean, every person is, like, a lot of things. My, like, Instagram bio slash Tinder bio version of myself is I'm a lesbian. I'm a woman of color. I'm an educator. I'm – this is actually in my Instagram bio. Team trauma. Definitely, like, working through that shit. I'm fat. These things are, like, very central to my identity, but also obviously don't make up all of who I am. Yeah. Can you talk about the role that food played in your family? Food for my whole family is so intense. It's, like, rough. Like, literally every woman on my mom's side of the family has actively an eating disorder, Mm. probably with the exception of me because I, like, do things really hard. So I, like, had a really severe eating disorder to the point where someone was like, we need to intervene on this shit. So I've, I've, like, processed a lot of that, but a lot of my family is still, like, really deep in it. I mean, you still live with your family. Yes, I do. I live with my mom and my little sister. Right. I mean, I remember you telling me that story about the bowls, the size of the bowls in your house. We have the smallest bowls, like almost doll-sized bowls that my mother and my sister will put like servings of ice cream into. And then like I get to break those barriers by just having like four servings. (laughs) Yes. Um, Just being like, yes, I will take another serving of pasta and another and another until I get to the equivalent of a normal-sized bowl of pasta. (laughs) Yes. Like, when you talk about being in the depths of an eating disorder, what do you consider sort of the origin story of it? Well, it started really young. I started restricting as soon as I realized that I had the ability to. That was probably around, like, seven. I stopped eating lunches and stuff. That is definitely eating disordered behavior. Mm. But it is also the behavior that is often expected of women is to, like, skip a meal. Then... Um, Right before I started high school, I went to this sleepaway summer camp, and my mom wasn't there. And I just had this moment where I was like, there's no one supervising what I eat. I could just eat nothing. Mm. 
And so I essentially didn't eat that whole week. And honestly, those long, those longer periods of like extreme restriction are kind of what kick eating disorder brain into high gear. Mm. The like long periods of like essentially starvation will start to mess up your kind of biological functions of like hunger. And I did some pretty extreme restricting and actually ended up getting hospitalized a couple of times Mm. through that. It was not fun. I don't recommend it. (laughs) I'm thinking about being eight, you know, for me, being 18 years old, and I had been restricting from around the age that you were naming, like probably around seven or eight. And I remember, you know, the first time I attempted starvation or, or some version of it was when I was 11. Mm-hmm. And then, it, you know, at 18, I was studying abroad in college. I was living in Italy. Mm-hmm. And I had this kind of similar thought which was, you know, I'm in another place and I can ratchet up my restriction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um and uh for me it was like this fantasy of returning unrecognizable. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about like one movie that I used to watch religiously was this movie called She's Out of Control and it starred Tony Danza mm-hmm. and also Chandler from Friends. You know, the idea is, like a lot of these movies, there is a sort of chubby girl with braces and glasses, and she's maybe a junior or a sophomore in in high school. And over the summer, she exercises really hard every single day. She's just sweating and working out. And um, and then that year of high school, it, it sort of starts and she gets her braces off and she gets her glasses off. She gets contacts and she emerges as a babe. And she goes from, you know, a zero to a 10. The reward for all of her restriction and exercising all summer and losing an entire summer of her life Mm -hmm. um, is that boys want to be her boyfriend. Anyway, so like, you know, that kind of idea that you could – you could totally change what you looked like and who you were essentially over a summer. I mean, it still is a cultural trope. Yeah. So I'm 18 years old, thinking that I'm going to radically transform, be unrecognizable to my family when I return at the international terminal. And this incentivizes me to begin eating almost nothing. And my goal is literally to eat absolutely as little as possible. And whenever Mm -hmm. hunger gets overwhelming, I would eat a spoonful of food. I did that for probably about a month and then I started the, – the signs started to happen of like what happens when you do that for a long mm-hmm. time. Um, I started to lose equilibrium. That was the first thing that happened. I used to fall all the time. I would pass out. I would just like tip over like – Yep. And then equilibrium leads to nausea. And then it also – right? Like I didn't have any calories so I was exhausted all the time. I remember at one point I was – I fell asleep on a bench two blocks from my apartment because I was so exhausted I couldn't make it from the downtown to my apartment, which was only mm-hmm. a few blocks. And I had fallen asleep during the day, and but I had slept through sunset. So I woke up. It's dark. I'm in, the, in a city I don't know that well by myself. And, um, and yet all the while – I knew all this bad stuff was happening. I kid you not, Bailey. I did not associate any of that negative stuff 
with my eating behavior Mm -hmm. because I thought that the way that I was eating was healthy and positive. I mean, do you like? Do you know that that, that like know that exactly. eating disorder cognitive dissonance phenomenon? Yeah, where you're like, I'm just healthy. I don't like. I don't understand why my hair's falling out. I'm eating so well. Yeah, all totally. I've eaten is celery, and isn't that good for you? It, it's just interesting how I. It's such magical thinking, actually. Mm-hmm. Like rapid metamorphosis into an entirely different person. Oh yes, is absurd. Yeah. Last night when we were texting, you were telling me about celery. Can you discuss the celery story? Do you feel oh comfortable? Oh, my gosh. Yes. Okay. okay. So I had this celery Oreos dichotomy. That's like literally I thought mm. about it in my head. I was like, there's celery and there's Oreos. And I never liked celery ever. Mm. But I was like eating disorder me was like two birds with one stone. You hate this food, so you're going to eat it less. Mm. And celery is essentially hard water that tastes like armpit. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And, like, allegedly you burn more calories chewing and digesting it than is in it. So I, like, lived on celery for about three weeks. I ended up in the hospital after that. You can't do it. You can't live on celery. You die. Right. Um, (laughs) So I would just, like, like – eat celery and then I'd like put an Oreo in front of me and look and smell the Oreo and eat the celery. Whoa. Um, And then oftentimes at the end I'd be like, I need to eat this Oreo. And I'd eat the Oreo and I'd feel so bad and I'd cry Mm. and I'd be like, oh my god, I can't believe I ate that single Oreo. Mm. Somehow all of my feelings about food got concentrated like onto Oreos and I would think about Oreos all the time. I remember Mm. doing crunches in my bedroom like one Oreo, two Oreos, three Oreos. Like I like I would just like everything I thought about was in terms of like I just want to eat an Oreo so bad but I can't. I spent so much like emotional and mental energy just like – Thinking about food, thinking about not eating food, thinking about what would happen if I ate food. And now I just eat, which is awesome, and then I can think about other shit. When I was in, like, eating disorder world was, like, the worst thing that could happen to me Mm. is that I would get fat. And I did get fat, and it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. And... Honestly, like as soon as I started eating again, that fear stopped existing. That fear is a product of like being fully enveloped in like the starving brain. Mm. And once you're out of that place, it's so much easier to find love and to like internally balance those feelings. And I don't know, it's just like it's so important to eat. Please eat. <laughs> wow. Can we, can we just, I just, I need to eat an Oreo right now. Let's do it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. 
Join hosts Ben Walter, CEO of Chase for Business, and Tanya Nebo, a lawyer and business consultant, on the storytelling journeys of trials, tribulations, and triumphs that hinged on a single event, a split-second decision, or even a stroke of luck. Whether the story is about a warehouse going up in flames or a former partner stealing a whole roster of clients, each episode will showcase the grit, determination, and resourcefulness a small business owner needed to turn a pivotal situation into a springboard for success. Listen to The Unshakables now and learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A., member FDIC. Copyright 2024, J.P. Morgan Chase & Company. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Musora is your access to online music lessons for guitar, piano, drums, and singing. This is your chance to reignite some old musical passions or pick up an instrument for the first time. Connect with more than 100 of the world's best teachers and musicians. You'll get seven days totally free to try it out. And then it's just $30 a month, less than a single private lesson. I mean, why do we do Broken Record? Not just because we love hearing from great musicians. We do it because we think that there is something beautiful about the appreciation of music. Don't you think we need more of that in our lives these days? That's the mission of Musora to inspire, educate, and connect musicians. Enjoy unlimited personal support, weekly live streams, student lesson plans. It's like having a personal music teacher, only much, much better. Just go to musora.com, M-U-S-O-R-A.com, to start a new musical journey today. We're back. I'm still thinking about the teen transformation movie and the deeply fucked up idea that hidden somewhere inside of you is another version of you, the real you, that's more beautiful, more perfect, and that that person is the only one who's worthy of love. It feels deeply gendered. I mean, I don't know that dudes feel this pressure to radically transform themselves so they can just be acceptable, worthwhile fully human, but it also feels deeply racialized. The women in these movies who could get thin and then get loved were almost always white. And years later, I realized starving myself wasn't just about being as thin as possible, but being as close to whiteness as possible too. Bailey says she always knew that was part of the deal for her. I honestly really explicitly did have that connection in my head mm. um i'm half black half white my mom's side of the family is the white side of the family my dad's side of the family is the black side of the family i'm like relatively light-skinned and honestly as soon as i started like visibly restricting my aunt was like bailey why are you trying to look like a white girl 
Like, that connection was made really fast. Ultimately, I was trying to adhere to, like, white, heteropatriarchal ideals of beauty and had this, like, idea that somehow, like, being more white would make me more safe and would make me more desirable. Mm. And, I mean, ultimately, I just lost a bunch of my hair and... That didn't make me particularly desirable at all. Mm, Yeah. But I mean, I think back on what happened to me in childhood where it was primarily boys emotionally torturing me day after day after day and trying to force me through this abuse to Mm. submit to their expectation that I be the right size. I now realize in adulthood that I was getting two lessons at once. I was getting the lesson that I should be thin, but I was getting the lesson that if I was desirable to boys, I could be safe Mm -hmm. from abuse. Yes. They're the opposite sides of the same coin. Yes. So um, I feel like a lot of um, kind of like the everyday violence that men direct at women often has to do with deviating Mm -hmm. from like the set expectation of like what an attractive, good, whatever, malleable woman is Mm. and like a thin, quiet white woman. And I've never been any of those things. I have always been like a bit of a weirdo, loud, kind of a know-it-all. Definitely a little eccentric. Just like just like a freaking weirdo. I've been a weirdo my whole life. I'm but into also it. deeply charming. Thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, I'm into it. It's part of my identity. I've always been this way. And I've always received, like, a large amount of pushback from that. And so I was like, okay, I can't – I've tried to be less weird. I can't be less weird, but I have not tried being more thin and more white. Maybe – If I adhere to these expectations in other ways, I'll be safe from this abuse. That was definitely a lot of my thinking. And ultimately, I was still deviant, wasn't safe, didn't super work out extremely well for me. One of the things that creeps me out so much now that I'm not restricting Mm -hmm. is that I – Of course, it was unpleasant to be exhausted and irritable. All the things that hunger, chronic hunger creates, right? Like, you know, really physical discomfort, exhaustion, irritability, all the stuff. Um, But I remember feeling in the depths of my physical weakness from hunger, this sense of femininity that I never felt Oh, yes. And it was so powerful and so intoxicating to me. That weakness, that frailty was a sort of coveted and prized experience for me. And it felt very exotic and special and whatever. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I'm talking about? I do. I was like, oh, my God, I'm fainting like a Victorian woman. Um, Yes. But which is so, like which is so tied to that white feminine ideal. Oh, yes. Well, and I think like for – I mean, I don't know. Forgive me if I'm overstepping, but, like, I think that for both of us, the white woman ideal was very present in our homes. Oh, yeah. Yes, very much so. Um, Me and my little sister, we didn't really grow up around my dad's side of the family. We were only around extremely thin white women. Mm. And 
that was just like the way I wanted to be. I just wanted to be like, like I said, a fainting Victorian woman, small enough to be easily kidnapped. Um, wow. <laughs> like yeah. the type of person you could just throw over your shoulder and rescue or kidnap or leave with a dragon. Like, <laughs> yes. Small enough to be easily contained. Like, mm. that's what I was like, oh, I feel so, like, beautiful and feminine. And even though all my hair is falling out and my skin is mm. terrible and I have constant diarrhea from chewing sugarless gum, I feel mm. so sexy and feminine. Yeah, I I'm thinking about who historically has benefited the most – um, it is, you know, the closer you get to that white ideal, that thin mm-hmm. ideal, the the more access that you're going to get, right, relative yes. to, of course, white dudes. But um, I kind of want to return to the the concept of living with an eating disorder, coming through it. Like for you, what was the breaking in the clouds moment for you? Did that did that happen internally or was it external? So. It was a combination of both. So I was hospitalized a couple of times. Um, Hospitalization is super effective because it sucks. And you're like, I would do anything to not have to do that again. I also was starting to have issues with my heart, which still kind of carry through to this day. And I got to the point where I was like, I'm going to die. Around that time... And this is – I feel like this is such like a niche Bay Area experience, but whatever. I took mushrooms for the first time. Mm. And I had this moment where I was looking at myself in the bathroom mirror and I was like, I have so much love for this person. And I'd never had that feeling before. Mm. And as soon as I came down, that feeling went away. But I knew I'd had it. Mm. That really was like a turning point for me. And, like, right after that, I, like, graduated from the various programs I was in for my eating disorder, started on um, an antipsychotic medication. And after I was put on medication, I gained about 130 pounds in one year, which was, like, a jarring experience. I'm not going to lie. But... Basically, I'm like, I'm at the point that, like, even when those feelings come up, I'm like, what am I going to do? Lose 130 pounds? No. (laughs) Right, right. Like, that's not going to happen, so fuck it. Do you know how long it would take you to lose 130 pounds, Bailey? Not fucking worth it. Mm. So I'm going to love myself here. Yes. In a way that I never have when I was thinner. And it's awesome. Mm, Totally. I mean, when we met... You were mm-hmm. already aware of fat activism and fat acceptance. I'm curious about your introduction to it. Yeah. Honestly, I'm not sure. I feel like my introduction was probably through Tumblr. Mm-hmm. Like I was big into Tumblr when I was in high school. And I also, because I'd like been through this whole eating disorder journey, there were like little bits, like there were like a couple of people who I ran into who were like doctors or psychiatrists or psychologists who were like, hey, like there's a different way to look at this. Mm. Then I, like when I was around 18, I want to say, kind of, I had this like group of friends. We were like very alternative 
very queer, even though I was still dating men and saying I was a lesbian. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) And we had, like, crazy colored hair and wore all black and, like, just kind of, like, talked about, like, our various, like, I don't know, our various intersections of oppression. And it was this moment where I was, like, I'm I'm fat. I'm a freak. I'm queer. And I like I love it. Like I just got really into it. And that was I feel like when I started to kind of build this like internal Mm self-esteem where I would just like pump myself up all the time, post so many selfies on Facebook and Instagram and just be like, I'm so fucking hot. Like, look at me with my, like, mostly shaved head with, like, a kind of troll doll blue thing happening on top and my full face glitter and all this shit. And I was like, yes, I'm into it. You're into it. Y'all are fucking into it. Yes, totally. (laughs) And I feel like that was really kind of the beginning of my, like, self, like, my real self-acceptance. Um. And, like, self-love. Like, fuck accepting yourself. I love myself. Yeah. What is it like being in this space of self-love and especially around body and food and being it, living in a house where there's this active disordered eating happening? Yes. Well, I have had to set some really strong boundaries. And I feel like those strong boundaries that I've set have honestly been helpful Mm-hmm. to everyone. So these are boundaries you you sat down with. Yeah, I sat down with my sister. mom and my sister and was like, here are some things like I'm not okay with. And if I'm going to keep living with you guys, I need these things to change. It was the sort of situation where like me and my little sister would only eat when my mom wasn't home because mm-hmm. she'd like always say something. Right. Like even if it was just like, oh, oh, what are you eating? That still was just, like, it felt so weird. Yeah. It was like, I'm just eating. Like, or, like, oh, are, are you going to have all of that? Aren't you going to save some of that? Like, I was like, we need to stop having this food interaction. I also need everyone to stop telling me to lose weight, to stop suggesting ways for me to lose weight, and to stop telling me that any of my other health issues would be better if I lost weight. And I've had this conversation at this point. We've had it a couple of times. Mm -hmm. And in general, my mom and my sister have been pretty receptive. They're trying. I guess, like, I'm thinking about how you're 22. I'm 37. Mm -hmm. And you have had all of these extraordinary realizations that it took me a really, like, much longer time to have. And I'm wondering if – do you feel like there's something generational about that? Do you feel like you're – like, you're in a generation where there are just different attitudes or more tools or – I absolutely agree that there are, like, more tools and that the attitude towards, like, the way bodies can even be is, like – changed a lot like a lot since like even like the early 2000s Mm. when I was in like middle school I'm like technically I'm like at the edge of millennial and Gen Z Mm. and like Gen Z is just trying to like fuck shit up like in a good way yeah like the world we live in is not working on so many levels and it needs to change we have been completely divested of the American dream Mm. um and so There is definitely a freedom in that to, like, restructure and recreate. 
And I think that's awesome. As someone with a history of ED, how does it feel to hear people talk about or endorse aspects of diet culture? I mean, honestly, it fills me with rage. Like, that is one of the few things where I, like, my face will get hot. Like, Mm. my hands will start shaking. Because I know diet culture impinges on people's personal freedom. Diet culture is a fucking intellectual muzzle Mm. that prevents specifically women from, like, realizing their full, like, psychic, intellectual, everything potential. It's a method of subjugation. It's a brainwashing tool. Diet culture is what cult leaders do to cult members, depriving them of food, depriving them of energy, depriving them of sleep. Diet culture is on a certain level like someone speaking into a microphone in your head all the time because it's the only thing you can think about because when you're not eating, the only thing your body wants to do is eat Mm. because you need to eat. Mm. And so it never lets you be alone with yourself and your own thoughts to realize all of your potential. And that's what enrages me is it's like it is like at – the very core, a brainwashing technique to force the subjugation of women. Mm. If I could drop our mic because it's not attached to a very heavy thing, I would. I would drop both of our mics. That was amazeballs. Thank you. (laughs) I had to ask Bailey one more question about what life is like from the other side of recovery. What does she have to say to the person who is still finding their way out of diet culture? Imagine a world where you can eat whenever you're hungry, that you don't have to think about what else you've eaten that day. Imagine being able to go to the Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk and get a fried Twinkie. Like, you can have that. That That is within reach. You can do it. (laughs) Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. I love that. There is nothing wrong with your body. There's nothing wrong with your body. No matter what your body looks like or what it can or cannot do, No matter if you have a chronic condition, whether you will live 100 years or 80 years or 30 years, your body is wonderful. It's a miracle. It's magical. You are magical. I know that for a lot of people, it's hard to believe that. I get it. Diet culture has hurt all of us so much, and it takes time to recover from it, lots of time. And for some people, it takes serious medical intervention. But in case you're ready to hear it, even just a little bit, I want you to know that you are precious beyond measure. One part of this conversation really stuck with me when Bailey talked about living with her mom and sister, people who are obviously very important to her, but who have very different relationships to food and their bodies. That got me thinking about this week's journal prompt. Here it is. 
Bailey says she had to make some rules with her mom and sister about how they talk about their bodies and about food when she's around. What are the new rules you'd love to set for your family or friends, roommates, coworkers about how they talk about food and bodies? If you want to write down your thoughts, you can send it to us at rebeleatersclub at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 862-231-5386 and your story can make it onto the show. 862-231-5386. When you're done, don't forget to give yourself the merit badge you earned. It's the You Are Stardust badge. You can print it out on our website, rebeleatersclub.com. Next week, I'll be talking to psychologist Deb Burgard about her life as an original fat activist and why we should stop controlling how we eat and just play with our food. If most people felt safe enough, what would we do with food? And we would play. (laughs) And, (laughs) you know, we would just do all the things that human beings do when we're playing. Rebel Eaters Club is an original podcast from Transmitter Media, the podcast company that's like the biggest brownie in the pan. I'm Virgie Tovar. The show is produced by Lacey Roberts and Jordan Bailey. Our editor is Sarah Nix. Greta Cohen is our executive producer. Our theme song is by Dara Hirsch. Like what you hear on the show and want to sponsor us? Visit us via lipstickandvinyl.com and let us know. And please head to your favorite podcast app and give us a review. It will help us grow the club. See you next week. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored among some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at T-Mobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom. Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fares. Discover more at viking.com.